0: I always get excited when we start a new sermon series because I can think about all the different things we get to talk about. And this, the the sermon series we're starting is going to be on three chapters in John. John 14, 15, and 16. And these are a key passage, a key section of Scripture. And uh, I'll give you to the beginning. They serve as a transition from the time when the disciples would follow Jesus in person, in the flesh, to now they would have to start following Jesus as the one who's been risen from the dead and raised up to heaven. And so I want to think about the context of this teaching, first of all, and and think about what the disciples would have been feeling and thinking about after the Last Supper. I mean, they had been following Jesus for three years, they had seen him do amazing things. They, they were following him because he said, I'm, I'm bringing the kingdom of God to earth and, and all the things. And they had they seen him exercise power that convinced them this is the, the son of God and he, he could do it. He is the Messiah. But more recently, Jesus kept talking about his death. He said, I'm going to be rejected by the, the, the religious leaders. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed. And, and you had, you know, the disciples didn't want to believe that. They kept saying, no, Jesus, we will fight for you. We won't let that happen. And Jesus said, no, it's going to happen. And then the, the, the last supper night, right? Think of all the things Jesus did that conveyed he is going away. I mean, he washed their feet and said, you know, you now need to do this for one another. He, he did the things with the, the, the bread and, and the cup. So this, this bread is my body broken. You know, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. If you get a chance, go to the four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one of them read kind of what, what happened at the Last Supper. And think about how you would feel if you didn't understand the whole picture of what God was doing yet. They, they still didn't understand about the resurrection. Nothing, nothing was, they, didn't, they couldn't see the whole thing as we can now. Imagine what you would have felt just experiencing that. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go and you can't follow me. And Peter said, but, but Jesus, I'm ready to lay down my life for you. And whether Peter meant that is, I'm going to lay down my life and keep you from dying, you know, protect you. Or maybe he meant of, if you're going to die, I want to die with you. And Jesus says, no, Peter, that's not what's going to happen. In fact, you're going to deny me and you're going to walk away and all of you be scattered. And so it's finally got into the disciples' heads. They are Jesus is going to die. He's going to go away. And they're thinking they might be killed too, right? The, the part with Pat Redd, you know, uh, it's saying, let us go with him to Jerusalem that we might die also. So that is the context for this section of passages. It's, they're going to be asking questions like, will Jesus be gone and we'll just never see him again? Uh, what about us? If he goes up to heaven, what, what happens to us? What will it mean to be his disciple if we can't walk with him from town to town? You know, what about all the things he said about the kingdom of God coming? Is that over? Is that just not going to happen? Um, how will the people of the world think of us? You know, and then what about us? If we die, what happens to us? So what you have in between the Last Supper and the Last Supper And the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prays to the Father, where he's also arrested. So in between that, you have these three chapters, 14, 15, 16. And Jesus is going to address those questions. In fact, he's going to speak more plainly than he'd ever spoken before. You know, oftentimes in his public ministry, Jesus taught by parables and stories and sayings. And the disciples would go to him. Jesus, we didn't understand what you're saying. Can you explain it to us, right? But in this passage, he's going he's to break it down because it's his final chance to, to, to prepare them for what's coming. Um, so he's going to talk more plainly. He wants to prepare them for his death, prepare them for his going back to the Father and what it will mean to be his disciple after that, after he is seated at the right hand of God. And so because he's preparing them, this, this section really is very applicable to us because it's how we get to follow Jesus, right? We, we will never get to, like I would think, never get to walk with Jesus from the town to town of Israel, you know, to walk with them in the streets of Nazareth. But we follow them like the, Jesus was preparing the disciples to follow him with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Look at learning his teachings and following him as a presence that lives with us and is in us. So in this sense, this teaching makes the transition between following Jesus in the flesh to following Jesus, the one who's been risen from the dead, raised from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God. What's the first thing Jesus addresses in this teaching? The first question he's going to deal with is what's going on in their hearts right now. What about, what if we die? He could look at their faces and imagine that he could see the fear. He could see the worry and anxiety. Um, He could see how the the, the questions, you know, they're they're thinking they're going to die with him. And they're ready for it. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. So what does Jesus speak to that? And he starts off by trying to give some assurance and, and prepare them for what happens Says, let not your hearts be troubled, right? He could see the, the, the anxiety, the words going on in their, their, their what's going on in their faces. He says, you, you trust in God, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I want to talk about that word that's used there, pistuite in Greek. And so it can mean belief. It can also mean trust. In fact, the version I remember reading more is from the NIV, which says, You trust in God, trust also in me. Right? So it's it's not talking about, you know, believing in God in this esoteric, you know, well, I acknowledge the existence of God. I mean, it would make no sense to say, I acknowledge that, you know, Jesus said, Acknowledge my existence, right? So he's saying not believe, he's saying trust. So when it comes to your eternal issues, when it comes to life and death, don't stop trusting God then. You know, you trust me enough to listen to what I'm saying, trust me all the way to the end, even to the point of our life and death. Right? So he's saying, I got this, right? You can trust me. We're going to be okay. Then he goes on to say, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, right? So the, first of all, we want to address is the word for rooms is the Greek word monai. I'm only going to give you two Greek words today. This is it. So I know I can't help myself. So the monai, and in, it somehow, it got translated into Latin as mansiones, which then worked its way into the King James Version as mansions. So maybe you grew up hearing, in my father's house are many mansions. And this idea that we get to go to heaven and we get our own mansion, and maybe if we're really good, we get a really good mansion, you know, or something like that. Like, that's not it at all. It, it, Moni is, is a much simpler word. It just means a room or a place to sit, stay. It's picturing a big house with many rooms. Like, a, a, a the, the father's house is a mansion, a huge mansion And there will be a place of rest, a place to stay. And the same word is used later in an opposite sense. It says, my father will come to you, or my father and I will both come to you, and we will make our home with you. In other words, speaking of how the Holy Spirit will be in, in us, we will be the moni for God's Spirit, for God's presence in our life. Jesus goes on to say, if it weren't true, I would have told you, right? I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to, to mislead you in any way on this. I mean, if there was no promise of life after death, I would have given you a heads up on this. Because I know what you're doing. Your decision to follow me was dangerous. You've placed a bet when you followed me. I'm going I'm to make sure that that bet pays off, right? I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you. I want to go and make sure it is ready. And it would be his actions the next day that Jesus, by his death, would open the way to salvation. By giving his life on the cross, he would be purchasing eternal life. We talked in Sunday school today about how how we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, but also that we are redeemed from, from the slavery of sin and guilt. It would be Jesus' actions on the cross that would prepare the way for us to have eternal life with him. And, it's, and, and so then his next point is, yeah, if I, if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and, and take you to it, right? Uh, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm not going to, like, not come get you when it's time, So, of course, I'm going to come get you, and and we're going to come back in a minute to talk about what that that means. Go back one slide, if you would. Um, The overarching principle in this is this last verse, this last section in verse 3, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus made this promise that when we start a relationship with him, we will be with him always. At the end of Matthew 28, it says... Um, exactly that. It says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Even in the Old Testament, God had promised him, Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We talked about that last week with with Moses. Moses said, "Don't, don't send us if you're not going with us. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you Right? God's presence living in our life. And that happens whether we're alive or dead. Paul says when we're absent from the body, we will be present with the Lord. That's the principle that that is operating in all of this. So let's go back now to that, that phrase: I will come again and take you to myself. What is Jesus talking about there? And there are three possibilities. Logically possible. One is the return of Christ. Could he be talking about when the second coming happens, that he is going to come then and take take us to him? Some would argue a second option would be the rapture, which is uh, an, an event when when he comes to take us away, we rise to meet him in the clouds. Now, I've talked before about this different... Pastors have different views on on what that is. Some would say the rapture is he comes to take us away from this world before the judgment happens. Um, So some would say the return of Christ. Some would say the rapture. The third one is the one I want to argue for. What I think this means is not the return of Christ or not the rapture. Instead, it's talking about what happens when we die individually. It's that Jesus is saying, I will come... At the moment of your death, um, I will come and take you to be with me. I will not leave you to face death alone. I will meet you at that moment. He will draw us up to himself that we might be with him in the eternal realms immediately upon our death. I think about what Jesus said to the criminal on the cross with him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And then on the screen, I have the, the stoning of Stephen, who was one of the early, first Christian to be killed for the sake of following Jesus. And, and when they were getting ready to kill him, it says he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What does he see at the moment of his death? He sees Jesus, the, the one who's ascended. And he, he declares, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God which just makes them all the matter, and then they start pelting him with stones. And it says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I believe Stephen at that moment, the presence of Jesus just drew him up to be where he was, at the right hand of God. So, that's that's my view on what verse 3 is talking about. Um, I want to talk about something that's often kind of confused a little bit is that there's two issues that that get mixed up and I want to try to separate them out in this time is life after death versus eternal life at the end of the age they're related but they're 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 two distinct things in his ministry in in, on earth, in his teaching ministry, Jesus talked a lot about the general resurrection. He talked about that part at the end, that, that life at the end of the age. He, he would tell stories like the, the parable of the great banquet, about when he would return and people would then join, come together and celebrate, and we'd celebrate the master's happiness. Um, he talked a lot about the master who would return to settle accounts, right, the judgment day, or how... The, you know the, the at the end of the, the time when the when the Lord returns the 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 good things would be kept where the 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 bad the bad weeds would be tossed into the fire, the useless weeds uh, at one time in mark twelve the a group who didn't believe in a future resurrection, the Sadducees ha- asked this long confusing question about you know what the resurrection would be like, and Jesus. You know, responded at the resurrection of the righteous. Mark 12, 25, when the dead, when we rise from the dead. So he talked a lot about a resurrection in the future, at the at the last days. And that what he came to do was to bring us eternal life. Life into the eternal age after the general resurrection. Jesus would be resurrected in time. The general resurrection would be at the end of time. So those two separate issues, eternal life versus life immediately after a death before the resurrection. How does that play out? And they both come to a head in a conversation Jesus had with Martha upon the death of her brother Lazarus. And this is key. So I think in John 11, Jesus... speaks of both of these two components. So Martha is talking with Jesus, and she's confused. Jesus, if you you could do all these things, why did you let Lazarus die? Was he not your friend? And Jesus answers that. But, But Martha says this. She says, I know that he, meaning her brother Lazarus, will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Martha had listened to Jesus' teaching. She knows about how often he talked about um, that that future resurrection. She had been paying attention. Even while she was cooking dinner and yelling at her sister, she still heard enough of what Jesus taught. And Jesus does not refute that. So he he goes along with this. Now, the irony that's within the passage is Jesus is actually going to bring Lazarus back from the dead that day as a sign that he has authority over life and death. But Jesus then responds um, to what she said. She, he, he doesn't refute it. He, he responds by, first of all, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. So that itself is, is a quite a statement. He's saying that to know me, to be in a relationship with me, is to have that promise of the future resurrection is to have life. That, that, that eternal life is about knowing Jesus Christ. So I am the resurrection. And then he gives two components of what it means to have life in him. The first one is, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is about life at the end, at the general resurrection. Though we will all face death. At some point, though we all die, we will yet live at when he returns, when we are raised from the dead. We will live with a body. Our bodies will be resurrected just as Jesus had been. So though we face death, we will at one point be raised again and share in the eternal kingdom. Um, the second part then, So so he could have just stopped there. But then he goes on. So first part is, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he. Then verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I used to think that Jesus was just saying the same thing in a different way. And he was just sort of adding emphasis to that first promise. I've come to think think of it a little different. So I want to zero in on this. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Is that just wishful thinking? I mean, is that saying Christians will never face death? will never, you know, we'll, we'll be so protected, we'll live to be thousands of years old and we'll... Obviously, it can't mean that. So is it is it hyperbole? Right? Is it just you know, an overstatement. Well, because we have eternal life promised in the future, it's as if we never die. What could this possibly mean? Is this, is this true? And I want to think a minute about death. What do we mean when we say we die? We as modern people think of it biologically. We think our heart stops, our brain activity stops, our body begins to decay, necrosis sets in within the cells. We think about it in those terms, bodily. For the Greek and Romans, they would have had a slightly different perspective. When They, of course, would have understood physical death and what it means. They weren't stupid. But, but if you would ask a Greek person, what does it mean to die? They would say, "Will you go to the place of the dead. To die is to go to the place of the dead, to sink down into Hades. I don't, has anyone else watch the Disney cartoon Hercules? Right, if, if, it's a great actually, it's a great picture of the Greek mindset about death. If you're in Hades, you're dead, and if you're not in Hades, you're not dead. Like it, it's it's plain and simple as that. That's how they would have understood it. To die was to go. To the place of the dead, and so if a person died outside of God's protection, they—that's where they would go. They would go to the place of the dead. Now the Greeks didn't have it right, of course. It that the place of the dead is not really ruled by some god named Hades. You know, it's different than that. But what Jesus is saying in this, he's saying, for one who has trusted in Him, He will not let them descend to Hades, to the place of the dead. Instead, he will meet them at their death for one who's trusted in him and take them up to be with him in the eternal realms. And so in the Greek sense, in the Greek mindset, you're not dead. You're alive in him because you're not in the place of the dead. The essence of who you are is still alive after your body has died your psyche, your self, your soul is still alive in Christ even though your physical self is dead and awaiting a future resurrection. Paul in Ephesians says something similar. He talks about how we're already dead because of our sin, that because of sin we are spiritually dead. And that means we're, we're not able to relate to God. It means we're destined for death. But he says, but God, out of his mercy, made us alive together with Christ. In this life, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are made al- alive again. And that means we're made alive spiritually. We receive this by grace, by God's gift, not because we've earned it not because we did something special to do it. Simply, we believe in Jesus, and we are given the salvation as a gift. And it means we're now alive to God in a way that we weren't before. And, and Paul goes on to say, it says, and we are raised up with him. Right? That, that's not something that happens in the future. That happens in this time frame when we, we trust Jesus. So spiritually, we are already made alive in the presence of God in our, during our time on earth. There's a part, part of us, our spirit is alive with God. Not our soul. Our soul is our awareness. It, it's where we're at right now. But our spirit, this, this connection between us and God is made during our time on earth so that we are already alive in him. And it says we're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's this aspect of us, the spirit that is alive already in the heavenly realms, so that when our body does die on earth, our soul does not go to the place of the dead. Instead, our soul goes right to where our spirit already is, alive in the throne room of heaven. So we see Jesus' teaching and Paul's teaching goes together and teaches the same thing in different ways. The promises that for those who know Jesus, who trusted in him, When we die, Jesus meets us and we are taken up. We find our rest in him in the eternal realms where we can have peace and rest in the heavenly throne room while we await the day when Jesus returns and we come with Jesus and we are given a resurrected body to live in the eternal age forever and ever and ever, amen. Here's the hard part. What about those who don't belong to Christ? What does death look like for them? Jesus in his parables talked a lot about pictures of, of being shut out into the outer darkness. Talks about the destruction of one's very being and soul. You know, the, he always gives this picture of being cast into the, the, the fire, but it's a fire that destroys. Um, and then the other phrase that's used probably most often is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are some of the parables that Jesus is picturing. He's warning people about what are the consequences of, of death if, if God is not in your life. If you, are meant, if you have to face death alone, without God your creator with you, what does death look like? I, um, I've am i thought about death a long time, even before as a pastor. And then as a pastor, you think about it even more because you visit people in the hospital or you do funerals. But I remember a movie that got me thinking a lot about death in college, and it's called Flatliners. And it's There's a lot of movies that are kind of life-after-death movies that are very romantic. You know, oh, your soul floats up into the light, or you're a ghost that can do things. Flatliners was different. I think it had a very realistic view of life after death. And I want to talk a minute about it. This is, um, I'm just trying to think out, what does death look like if God is not in the picture? And I think this movie captured something. The movie is about these medical students who are playing around with death. They, they, are, they would um, inject something that would stop one's heart, and then they'd allow a certain amount of time, and then they would bring them back with, with shock paddles and everything. And they were experimenting with you know, what happens right after you die. And at first, their experience in the movie is that of peaceful floating. And it's kind of great. But over time, as they go longer and longer in death, it turns bad for each of them in a different way. And what happens is for each one in the movie, some emotion or some memory takes over and it dominates. So for one, it's fear, right? He's being chased and and that becomes his experience. Another, it's shame over things that he's done. Another, it's guilt. One, it's despair, and all she, she remembers is finding her, her father's dead body. Right? For each one of them, that emotion, that, that memory dominates, and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's horrible. You know, it dominates their thinking. And what I, I come to think about is, again, if, if there's no God, if God's not in the picture, but our soul really does outlast our body, what would happen we, we would have no physical sensation. We'd have no, we couldn't see nothing. We couldn't see the world. We couldn't see people. We, we'd have no input, except all we would have is our own awareness. And we would be utterly, completely alone, left to live on our memories. And even then, we wouldn't have a, an unlimited amount of memories because we don't have a brain. We would just have our awareness, And if that awareness was dominated by some powerful emotion, that's all we would have. And does not each person have something, guilt, fear, shame, despair, that can dominate and imagine that worst emotion being all you experience over and to the end? I know it's kind of more of a psychic picture of what hell would be like than than Dante's picture of, you know, Fire and and all the punishments of hell, but I think it's just as 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 scary as anything else because there's no escape. It's your own self self that's replaying over. And I remember talking about this with some other people and kind of throwing out this idea of could this have be something to what death would be like if God was not in the picture. And she said, "You're missing something. Demons. There are spiritual beings out there, and." they could add to the torment. They could control these these lost souls. So not only would you have your own torment, you'd have these outside demonic spiritual powers that that can can control you. That is as bad a picture of of hell as anything Dante could come up with. I don't know if that's accurate, but I, I, I think there's something to it. And I think... What, what God did is He doesn't want anyone to experience that complete, utter, eternal aloneness, that, that psychic misery that will never end. And so He sent His Son to save us from such an existence. And what does it talk about all the time when, he, when it says he, 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 the salvation is? The salvation is the coming of God's Spirit into our heart so that we are not alone. He is with us. Unto the end of the age, he's he's with us always. It's his presence that saves us from that that experience. And and not only does his presence save us from being alone, there's the washing of the Holy Spirit that takes place. He washes us and cleanses us from guilt and pain and hurt. He begins the the inner spiritual healing in our life that keeps us from, from living like that. It's his presence that draws us out of our own self-existence. So instead of an endless dream of our most awful memories, we behold him. We are with him. We are safe in the arms of our Savior. The the other word that often comes up when he talks about this is rest. We find our rest, eternal rest in him. We lay down the burdens of this life and enter His, his rest and we're where he's at. Where is he at? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything that Revelation talks about, the, the beauty and glory, the crystal sea, the, the, the one upon the throne, the, the elders bowing down and, and, and worshiping him, we, we would get to behold this incredible vision and beauty of God with the, the emeralds and, and all that. And we will experience the warmth of his love and presence within us. We'll be caught up in the joy of worship that's taking place around the throne. And it is there we await until that day when he says it is time. And he, he reunites us with our physical body. And we, we head to earth to live in the eternal kingdom. That is why he sent his son. That we can have that with him. That is the promise of salvation. That is the promise of eternal life. Have you ever... Thought about death and the end and what that means for you, and just felt this fear. I want to reassure you, Jesus wants to reassure you, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You trust in God. Trust also in me. Maybe this is the morning God brought you here, because you need today to put your trust in the Son of God. You need to say, Lord, I, I, I don't want to face eternally alone. I want you in my life. I want your presence. I, don't, I, I know I can't get there. I know I don't deserve it. But would you receive me anyways? Friends, the good news is this morning he's ready to receive you if you're willing to put your trust and faith in him. Like, it, like Don said, we're going to have some people here to pray with you and maybe you have a physical You want to pray for healing, or maybe you need to to pray to receive Christ into your life. We want you to know you could do that this morning, and we want to take away anyone's fear of facing death alone, that we can know that at that point, at that moment, when this body gives away, there will be one there to meet us and to take us up to be with him forever. Let me pray. Father in heaven, death is so overwhelming to to us as humans, and it, it seems scary to 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 lay down this life. We we put so much into building our life and to 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 having your your uh, to having the things that we we have here. But Father, we know that we can trust you even in this, especially in this. And so, Father, we just thank you for the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ. We thank you that where where He will be, so will be us as we trust in him forever and ever. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.